0: Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's podcast is sponsored by Mackinex Construction Products. Mackinex has been designing original, award-winning solution-based tools and equipment for industries such as hire, flooring, construction, and landscaping since 2004. From small beginnings in Sydney, Australia, they now have a global footprint in 14 countries and have products carried by more than 4,000 equipment hire and rental companies worldwide. Whether you buy or rent, you'll find Macinex products safe, simple to use, and built to last. Visit them at the Hire21 show in Gold Coast, Queensland, on the 12th of May, where they will be showcasing their latest products and innovations, including the hybrid power system, a portable, environmentally friendly alternative to the standard petrol and diesel generator platforms. Today's guest is Jason Stanchek. Jason is the Vice President of Operations of a company called Edco, which is a long-serving supplier to the equipment rental industry. Now, Jason's actually third-generation rental, so his grandfather was actually inducted into the ARA Hall of Fame for his contributions to the equipment rental industry as he was originally involved in a rental business in the late 1950s on the East Coast of the U.S., Jason, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got involved in the equipment rental industry?
1: I, well, to be honest with you, the answer to the question, how do I, how I got into the equipment rental industry? I always joke that I was born and that put me in the rental industry. Uh, somehow my uh, grandfather, Leo Swan, and his business partner, Ed Harding, started Edco, uh, the manufacturing company, from Uh, a rental, uh, equipment rental store in Silver Spring, Maryland, about an hour outside Washington, D.C., in Maryland. And uh, over the years, I've had many jobs within Edco, our manufacturing company. Um, I worked in the mailroom when I was in middle school. My grandfather would pay me cash out of his pocket. I worked on the manufacturing floor in high school. After college, I did some sales customer service. Then I did marketing, um, and now I'm the vice president of operations. Um, I, I talk about it all the time. I think like most young people with a family company, I never wanted to work within it. Uh, I even left for two years in 2004 and learned about video marketing and broadcasting and then returned uh, to apply what I had learned to Ed Kettle. Well, wow, it's such a, an amazing thing that you've
0: been in the family business. Like, Is it third generation or second generation? Third generation wow and so what's the history then like walk through like the actual history of like your your grandfather your father and yourself like how did that all sort of form sure um so in
1: 1959 edco was essentially started begun before that my grandfather leo swan um, was a salesman in washington dc and he worked for the national cash register company he literally sold Old timey cash registers. I actually have one that he always wanted to restore that he kept from the 50s when he was working there. It's actually sits in my office. You got to figure out how to restore it someday. Uh, But he literally sold cash registers to companies in the the DC area. One of his favorite clients was a gentleman by the name of John Doran. And John Doran owned a company called Rental Tools and, and Equipment and he was a a 1950s rental operation with a couple employees john actually started his company by renting chainsaws at the back of his pickup truck to all the contractor companies who were cutting down the woods and forests around washington which was becoming now Suburban Washington DC. Uh, John would drive around in the morning uh, with with chainsaws in the back of his truck, and he'd go to construction sites and he'd rent them to the uh, to the workers. He'd come back at the end of the day, fix them up at night, do the same thing the next morning. John was successful enough at that to where he could actually rent store uh, a, a storefront, and he had a counter and he started acquiring rental equipment to to rent uh he needed help in the back and he hired a gentleman called a named ed harding and ed was fantastic with with machinery he could fix anything that uh came back from rental and he and john were trying to make a living at this concept called rental and i use the word concept because at that time, on the East Coast, rental was not really something. Uh, rental started more on the West Coast. And in the 50s, it was kind of bleeding into the, the East Coast of the United States. So what John was doing in this area of the country was um, a novel new concept. Uh, so he was trying to make his best living at doing it. My grandfather started calling on him selling National Cash Register products. Uh, he was really interested in what John was doing, trying to do. Uh, my grandfather himself always was great with his hands. Um, he was uh, very creative. Uh, he didn't have a formal engineering background, but he was good at, at tinkering with things. And he was really good at selling. Um, he struck a personal relationship with John. And one day John asked him, uh, hey, Leo, would you come help me sell this concept of rental? And Pop decided to do so. And he, Ed, and John really started building this business, Uh, got the word out. Uh, Ed was great with the turnaround of product to get it back up and ready to get out back the door again. They were making money. Um, Where the business of Edco, the company Edco came into being was after doing it for a while, Leo, John, and Ed saw saw a problem that their customers had that rental tools and equipment couldn't solve for them and that problem was leveling concrete floors for overlays tile epoxy whatever they were doing back in the 50s and 60s At, at the time contractors had two ways of leveling a concrete floor they could do it by hand on their hands and knees or a lot what a lot of people were doing were uh crudely modifying floor buffers with stones on the bottom and the problem with that was the the stones would always fly off so contractors were actually adding problems to their website or, i'm sorry to their construction site whereas they still couldn't properly level a floor but they were also throwing stones and drywall and they had to fix that too so leo john and ed got together um, they combined the the problem, their their experience, and their um, they all, like I said before, they're all really good with their hands, and they literally invented the modern day concrete floor grinder, two desks, two discs, electric power, um, and they built one, and it was only ever intended to satisfy the needs of their current rental clientele it was so popular that they built another one and the lead times to get their hands on it kept swelling to the point where they built two or three more. Uh, that's st- part of the story always changes. So I really don't know how many they, they built just for their own clientele, but it got to a point where they realized that they had a product that they invented that they then as a rental store could go to other rental stores and sell to, um, Started taking orders on it. They even went to the second uh, ARA show in Kansas City. Uh, my granddad uh, actually paid some contractor to come in and pour a concrete slab inside. There's no such thing as dust prevention back then, and he tells us he always told this story where they had to tell him to stop grinding because he was getting everybody else booth oh, booths uh, really dusty with with concrete dust. So uh, after they took orders there, they really thought they had something. So they Decided to start Edco, uh, which is short for Equipment Development Company, as an arm, as a manufacturing arm of rental tools and equipment. The rental store. A few years went by, and John said, "You know, I can't keep doing both of these businesses. I'm. I, I want to do rental." Uh, so my grandfather got a loan from the bank. Uh, he and Ed Harding became partners. And they broke away from mental tools, got their own um, uh, manufacturing little facility, hired a couple guys. And um, from there, yada, 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 all these uh, decades later, that one product has now ballooned to 40 different uh, general uh, surface preparation and uh, professional sawing equipment line of products. And um, that's where we are today. And that's a really, really long answer for your short question. So I apologize for that. Uh, that's awesome. That's, it's such an amazing
0: concept that like someone in your family was affiliated with with the, almost like the beginning of rental. Because yeah. like the concept back then, like you mentioned, like it didn't really exist. Like I can't imagine what it was like telling, telling people, no, no, no. I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm going to rent it to you. And I want it back at the end of it. It would have just been so foreign to all the people they were dealing with.
1: No, they didn't understand it. And and I, I, I've always joked, uh, one regret, I never got a chance to sit down and talk to John Dorn about his, how he how he started selling chainsaws out of the back of his truck. I mean, that is like rudimentary and ba- the most basic business model you could possibly do. And John made it work to the point where he built a store. John Doran's in the rental in the ARA Rental Hall of Fame, you know, uh, and he was able to he was in the business for a long time and he was very instrumental, again, in the East Coast rental industry, East Coast United States, and that all started from chainsaws and a pickup truck. So you have to you you really have to admire that.
0: It's very impressive. And so. What's your roles been like? How did you eventually come into the business? And what were some of the roles that you played in the business over the years?
1: Well, like I said before, uh, uh, Edco was my first job in middle school and in, in high school. You know, I worked part-time. Uh I I've done a I've done many jobs throughout Edco. You know, I've always kind of seen I, I've always considered family companies different than non-family companies because no matter who you are in the a, in a family company no matter what your title is you, you you play you have your hands in different things and in and in different um you have different influences different way what you could influence a part of the business a lot you can influence the business another part of the business just a little bit but your influence is everywhere somehow some way um, so I've done just a mixed bag of jobs. I've done anywhere from uh putting our uh our chisel scalers, our our tower air powered tire remover sticks together um to um working at the back of the shop, uh to stuffing envelopes, to um uh literally on the phone every day. Um uh, hello, thanks for calling Edco. This is Jason. How can I help you? You know, that level of customer service um to um you know, doing training sessions, uh, marketing, and now my role as vice president of operations. And I, I always joke that's a, a fancy title for, you know, do whatever needs to be done today, guy. So, um, but, but you know, I will say my, my, my father is co-president. I should probably have said this, said this before, talking about third generation here. Um, I am third, my brother and I, my brother Danny and I are third generation on our side, Um, our co-presidents are uh, Frank Stanchek, my father and Bill Harding, Ed Harding's son. Um, Just to put a level of complexity into this, uh, my mother Sue Stanchek is actually Leo Swan's daughter. So the co-president of our family, side of our family is the son-in-law of Leo, Swan and the other co-president, the son of Ed Hardy, and we've had, we've had different cousins and friends of cousins and friends and friends of cousins work in the business in different roles throughout the year throughout the years. Um, uh, and we also talking about third generation. We have Evan Routson, who actually works here, who is Bill Harding's son-in-law.
0: Got all that? That's so much. There's so much going on in my head right now. (laughs) So
1: so we do, we all do what needs to be done. You know, we have a very flat um, hierarchy here. Anyone, anyone in this company, whether on the manufacturing floor or in the office, can at any time walk into anybody's office and throw up a problem or say, whoa, we gotta think about something. And I, and a lot of that is just really based upon uh, both the Swan and Harding families are kind of just personality and makeup. Um, we're not, um, we're not big hoity torty people. You know, we, we, we like the team effort. So we really, we, we, we really let our employees kind of, I don't say run the show, but they're very influential in what we do on a day-to-day basis and
0: so was it something that has always been pushed hard to say are we we need to stick as a family business because it's it it, there's so many family ties in that Mm -hmm. business which is quite amazing is that something that's been like the core values of the business the whole way through
1: yes and that in american manufacturing is our our two huge core values Uh, yeah you know uh, there's pros and cons, everything you do, and there's pros and cons of being part of a family company, right? Um, but one thing we, we've always, it's always been important to keep the sense of a family company, no matter how much we've grown over the years, mostly because our teammates respond to that so well. Like it's important to them. Um, I, I don't, I don't, you have to ask them um, about really what it means. Um, but I, I've heard like our HR director, um, other, other teammates have said that working for a family company, especially this one, because we allow, because we have so much input from so many people on our team, uh, that's really rewarding to them. And it's important to them. Um, it's also important that we are truly are an American manufacturing company. Um, people like uh, to see that we take raw steel and make it into something. We, we create something every day. Um, so I, those two core values have been really important to our growth over the years, but mostly mostly because it just means something to everybody here. That's great. And so, so
0: everything's American made, which is uh, an amazing story in itself. So maybe you wanna talk a little bit about the exact products that Edco manufactures today
1: sure um uh well we make a we make a full line of what we call surface preparation equipment and professional sawing equipment um we have anything from the the contract the, the 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 concrete grinder that we talked about before well newer iterations uh of the one that was invented in the 60s but um we have that uh we have scarifiers. we have uh anything to Remove, resurface, um, prepare the uh, top layer of concrete surfaces. Uh, we also have both uh, all kinds of flat saws, both uh, small and large, uh, push and self-propelled uh, masonry, hardscape, and tile saws, um, tile removers, and our other business, our other di- well, not other business, other division is called Edco Fabrication, and that was started. In, actually, in the middle of the uh, 2009 U.S. recession, um, where we actually manufacture parts for other manufacturing companies. So, our one side of our business is uh, product-based, and one side of our business is um, service-based. And I will tell you, if you were to ask me, uh, give you a rundown of what we make for other manufacturing companies, I really couldn't intelligently answer that question, because I don't even know half the stuff that moves out of this place. I just know we make it for other people. Uh, It's their product. And we send thousands of pieces all over the place, all over the United States. Um, And I really don't know what half of it does. Uh, But I know we get paid for it. And I know we make some pretty good other people's stuff for them. And so that's, 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 that's always fun to see rolling out of here.
0: Yeah, so it's also supporting other American companies with your manufacturing as well and the fabrication, which is is good. Now, being so closely tied with the equipment rental industry and getting their feedback, do they have a big involvement in helping you innovate the tools today as well?
1: Yeah, I would say to a certain degree, yes. Um, Mainly because the problem in the 60s being uh, in, in, the, in the case of my grandfather, the salesperson, right? Of the concept of rental and Ed being the um, person in the back having to fix everything and, 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 and take care of everything that came back from rental. They, they, they experienced same problems that rental store owners and workers have today which is the constant worry of equipment being broken, right? So if you're a salesperson, you're out there selling the concept and you get someone to rent something from you and it breaks down what you're hearing from them. And then in the back, you know, you got to fix the problem. You got to figure out how to do it. Get the parts. You got to spend the time to do it. And that's always a huge problem. Uh, So our mentality has at Edco, as far as product development and listening to the rental industry, has been building things what we call rental tough. Um, and that is, that means overbuilding, um, and overbuilding a product to the point where a rental person doesn't have to take that call. Hey, my thing broke down. And the guy in the back doesn't have to say, oh my God, here comes uh, the same piece of equipment. Again. I got to fix it. This is a, I hate this product. It's a waste of my time. I can't do anything else. So as far as listening to the rental industry, we've always listened as far as, um, Everything we do needs to be overbuilt to survive the rigors of everyday rental. But let's be honest with you. Every rental person listening to this broadcast knows damn well that 85% of their customers abuse their equipment uh, when it's out on rental. They, 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 they're paying for it for the daily rental. They want to get as much production as they can out of it. They're going to dig that machine, whatever it is, into their job as much as possible, beat the heck out of it. And send it back to the rental person. And so, like, you know, and they, they'd be done with it. It's not theirs to own. Uh, so, you know, we've learned over the years that a problem to solve for rental is overbuilding uh, the products or the breakdown. Now, Edco, I will admit, we're always going to be more expensive than com- competing customers, but we'd rather be more expensive and and put more material. And labor into a into a machine, then put something out that's going to be cheaper and uh, cause problems for rental people. And that and that works for contractors too. Contractors don't want to use something that's going to break down, or or, or buy something that breaks down. We have contractor customers, and they buy our stuff because it doesn't break down. They spend more money on it, but they don't have to worry about it. So mm, the job
0: done. Yeah. So. yeah, and I think yeah that that plays a massive part in. And yeah, the the solution cell and the the trust that you've built with the rental industry as well over the years, and the fact that you can tell your story uh, about the family history and where the companies come from, it builds up a, I guess a a bit of a a play in terms of how important that your business is to the rental industry and how important the rental inter- industry is to your business as well. So it's a, it's a yeah. two way thing.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, because it, but yeah, to your point about what you just said about problem solving. I mean, to that point, I mean, in the end, I would say, I don't know what, I don't know if anything we do at Edco is that novel or, or, or original it's, it's taking proven concepts of building of solving people's problems, whether it be through training, we, we show you how to take our products and, um, solve problems i'll give you a good example so you know we spend a lot of time training to solve problems meaning you know as far as the rental industry is concerned we go into a rental store whether it be in-person or online training and we teach we spend lots of time teaching rental people how to make money with our products and the way to make money with our products is you got to know the applications that they're best suited for because every person whether it's a homeowner or a contractor who walks into the showroom of a rental store has a problem to solve and they're looking at the rental store to solve that problem with them for them somehow some way whether it be you know advice or most times product um, our job as Edco for the rental industry is to show them what problems Edco machines solve so their customer, so they can solve their problems for their customers who have a problem that they need to solve. Um, and we've always seen when we do that training, that also bleeds into the construction industry because if we're putting information out there on what our stuff solves, then contractors watch that too and everyone's happy, you know what I mean? A um, big thing for us too is, helping rental stores build their rental ticket, um, you know, from one little problem that a contractor or homeowner might have. I mean, there's different layers of both. You can pair Edco with other brands to build that rental ticket up and the contractor or homeowner doesn't even know the, the contractor or homeowner might have a problem. They don't even know yet. They don't have one problem. They do have five problems to solve. So it's our job to help rental help the rental industry recognize that and help them make money. Um, and that, again, was born out of Leo and Ed working in rental. They, they had to do that themselves. So the mentality here has always been um, take their the pain they experienced in the 50s and 60s working in rental and apply to a manufacturing company. Um, and we try to do that best we can over the last uh, 40 years. How involved are you with
0: the American Rental Association? And how important do you some do you think some of these... These trade shows that they're putting on and, and industry events are to the equipment rental industry.
1: Um, well, I'm. I'm I guess you can say I'm pretty involved with uh, the American Rental Association. I'm. Um, um, I am uh, on the back end of my term uh, as associate member director. Uh, and what a, what associate member director means is uh, myself uh, and uh, Brian Bolt. Um, from Aztec Tense, um, we are the current serving, uh, associate member directors, and we, we are the voice of, um, manufacturers, vendors, people who service the rental industry. Uh, we are their voice on the American Rental Association Board of Directors. Um, so I'm pretty involved. Um, and I would say, to answer your question about trade shows, um, I would say that trade shows are important uh, the ARA show is important every year, but I think the overall ARA strategic plan uh, that's been enacted is the most important. Um, the plan was actually enacted right before I came on the board. Um, the The plan is dynamic, and it's it's really shaping how the smart people who run the association see the industry's future and how to grow it. Um, I was talking about technology and embrace it. It, it, it that's one of the focuses, but it also focuses on education, both to give it give the workforce the technical skills it needs, but it's also educating the world on the strong careers available within the industry. Um, what the ARA identified was people look at the rental industry as a job to have, but not a career to build with. There are fantastic and rewarding careers within the industry. Both with the general members, rental stores, and the, and manufacturers like us who service it. Um, so, but I, but the answer to answer your question about the about trade shows, they're they're definitely important because, um, the, like things like the events like the ARA show are places where all members can come together and learn about these initiatives and and network. So, I think the trade shows and the strategic plan are important as a package together.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, it's such an important factor. And it it just provides a lot of guidance to independents as well that are looking for advice or uh, looking to network or maybe new people that are
1: looking to network as well and they do an amazing job. I, I think you're right. But and then think about that. Back to the point we were talking about before is th- think about that small rental business owner. Those people have a lot on their plate. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's trying to grow your business, but also work with the people you have right then. That that I, I just I, I don't know I don't know how they do it sometimes. I've always been um, an admirer of those small rental, just small business owners in general. I don't know how you do that. That's that's really hard. Um, and I've always said this, and the reason I really wanted to join the the board a couple of years ago for the ARA was you know, again, like I was saying before, I, I, I grew up around, I grew up in manufacturing is our business, right? But I grew up servicing the rental industry. And I've always been struck by the warmth of the industry and the people in it. I've watched people at, at the ARA show or, or in our booth or just sitting down and chatting, you know, peer to peer, I've watched them. It's always amazes me how much they go out of their way to help someone Be successful in their rental business like you know a guy in tennessee a rental owner in tennessee will talk about what products they make money with the most to a guy in north dakota or washington state or whatever um i've seen people i've seen rental businesses in the same region who go head to head Get together and talk about that kind of stuff. Hey, this is working in my store. You know, this might work for you. Hey, let's buy this thing together and re-rent it to each other. And these are guys who go head to head for the same for the same customers. I've always been struck by that. I, I've never seen that. I've never seen that anywhere else. That doesn't happen in manufacturing. I tell you that much. I mean, I, I wish I wish manufacturing had a network of peers like rental store operators so I, I'm, I'm 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 i've always been jealous of that I, I wish i had people to talk to you like that yeah um, that's that's an
0: amazing part of the industry that i think is is uh is very valuable as well yeah and so i guess with the new entrance into the rental industry with the likes of like home depot lowe's mm. and then and walmart like that's that's another type of a type of rental in a way uh, and like they got partners uh, like Sunbelt is partnered with with Walmart, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Like your tools seem like they might fit well into that market as well, because they're typically selling a whole range of things and they might be renting maybe some of the uh, higher valued items potentially on a short-term rental. Like, is that something that you've seen or is it still sort of building
1: up? Home Depot and Sunbelt slash Walmart um, are 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 in two very different places right now. Um, uh, in the fact of Home Depot, um, Home Depot Rental has grown exponentially over the past several years. Um, I, I and I can say for Edco in particular, our business with Home Depot Rental has grown by leaps and bounds over the last several years. Um, we have a very good relationship with them. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a very valuable relationship, not only just because of the sales, but also because, um, we're very, we communicate really well and Home Depot is very frank with us. Like we want you to do this. We want you to figure this out for us. And we love it when a customer will be, Hey, Edco do this. And we try our best to do it for them. Um, so that's grown that we've been able to grow that business over the years because of that, uh, open communication with them, uh, corporate corporation to corporation. Um, uh, you know, we're talking here, um, at this time, I mean, we'll see where the Sunbelt Walmart thing goes. Um, but we, you know, we are, our, our, our products already are fitting into there. Um, and, and I think that will be a growth entity for us over the next several years. Um, I am excited. You know, it's funny, you know, you talk about that particular, but I am very excited. I am excited that companies like a Sunbelt are doing something different like this partnership with Walmart. Again, we'll see where it goes, right? But just to try it is pretty cool. Um, and and I'm not, I'm not saying that to suck up the Sunbelt, um, uh, but the but I, I think the the equipment rental industry has drastically changed over the past ten years, um, and I and the and I think the number one way it's changed is the heightened demand for product. Um, and I and I and I think what some what some else, I believe what someone's was trying to do with this Walmart um, partnership is going right after is, is is putting the the opportunity of rental directly in front of the consumer that would be at Walmart, right? Home Depot, I guess you could argue has done the same thing with rental. I mean, you're, you're going to Home Depot for home in, home improvement rights right, stuff. You're consuming the product on their orange shelves. Why not have rental right there? Because you might as well walk into it and see if there's something that can help you out there. Um, but I think all that's driven by this a heightened demand for product.
0: Yeah, that's true. Alright, well, let's, uh, let's switch gears for a bit. Let's talk more about you for a little. So what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: So, so I've been, uh, I've been asked, okay, I've been asked this question before. And I, it, it took me a long time to, I'll give you a funny answer. And I'll give you a serious, I'll give you a serious answer. Okay? And the funny answer is a little bit serious, but it's mostly funny. So I would say to, to little Jason Stanchek that I would tell him not to be afraid of girls. Okay. So I was terrified of the opposite sex growing up. I lost a lot of I lost out on a lot of dates, but more importantly, I lost a lot of opportun- a lot of friendships and opportunity to learn about people and have more friendships. So I tell my two boys all the time, befriend as many girls as possible because men learn how to better themselves around women okay that's my kind of funny kind of serious answer but my serious answer is this i don't be afraid of the word no and by that i mean don't be afraid of hearing it and don't be afraid of saying it um i think i believe that if everybody it sounds kind of corny okay but i bet this is, is actually this is something i've realized uh about myself somewhat recently. And I, I believe that if everyone really thought about what they fear, and what they stress about in their lives, much of it re- revolves around hearing, hearing or saying no. Um, growing up, let me get back to little Jason Sancher, growing up, I was so afraid of rejection that I wouldn't even request things and avoid situations where I could be told no. Okay, now I've learned now in my older years of being 40 now, failing at something and being told no teaches you how to improve for the next time you ask for something or you go for something or you try something new. But more important, I think learning how to say no to things is huge. And not enough people say no, even though they know they should be saying no. Um, you know, whether it's in your personal life, uh, professional life, uh, the, the the word no is a powerful word that people don't utilize enough. And um, I've learned I learned that about myself. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to people when they asked for I just wouldn't say no. Um, I also wouldn't say no to someone while growing up that was picking on me. I, you know, I I avoided that conflict. And um, I would say to to young Jason Sanchak, just learn the power of no yeah i think
0: yeah, it all comes down to avoiding confrontation like you just mentioned us then yeah it's it's something that i think you only learn with time and and maturity yeah
1: and experience you gotta be in this you gotta be in those uncomfortable situations it's a, talking about talking about being professional in your professional life i mean there's nothing wrong with telling your customer no uh you, you know it's it's because if you if you're if you know you can't do something and you lie to them and say yes i mean they're going to be they're going to respect you less than they would if you were just upright and honest with them and say no to them um you know we have to tell our customers no on certain things all the time uh, but that, that that doesn't mean um we tell them no now and that we're not going to improve to be able to tell them yes the next time um, so the power of no is 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 learning that as a powerful thing, I think. And then, so
0: learning some of this stuff, and especially learning about the rental industry, and then the manufacturing business. Like, who do you think played a big influence on your career from a mentor perspective?
1: Well, uh, a few people. Um, my grandfather, uh, obviously, um, for my grandfather passed away, um, a little less than a year ago. Um, and I've, I've thought a lot about him, um, this year and, um, you know, he was a big influence both for the good things he did and for the things he didn't do so well. Um, you know, he was, um, he, he was, he, he was larger than life to me because um, I always respected him for his the risk that he took when he was younger to build a company. Um, I, 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 I admired him um, because he was just very kind to our to our family. Um, to me, I grew up I grew up living two doors down from my grandfather. So he was a big influence in my life um, for many good reasons. But he also uh, didn't do everything. He wasn't perfect. Um, you know, he, he was a micromanager man and he would, he would proudly admit that. And sometimes he got in the way of things that we could have improved upon because he was too bullheaded to admit that he was wrong. Um, and you know, we call him out on it and it was almost like a joke, but it was good and bad. So he was, he was a, he was a big, uh, influence in my life. My father, uh, I respect immensely. Um, you know, my father, um, is, um, went through a lot in his life. Um, he always was there for us. He was always been there for Edco. Um, he, if every time we ever had to let somebody go, whether it was, whether they deserved it or not, he always has agonized over it, um, because he understands um, that that person has a family. So whether they deserve to be let go or not, you know, that's affecting someone. I, I really admire that. Um, um I, and so that was, those were great influence on, 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 on my life. I, I would say, um, in many ways, the biggest influence on my life as far as professionally. Okay was the worst boss I ever had. I, I I mentioned, I think I mentioned before, I actually left the company for a couple of years and came back, um, in the middle, during that time, I worked for about a year for, um, someone who here in the States, um, amassed a, I don't want to say that this guy would actually sue if I would say who it was. Uh, but if you look at my resume, you can pro- probably figure it out. I worked for someone who um, was famous in certain circles. Okay. Uh, and um, every day in that office was a nightmare. Uh, it was so poorly run. Um, it was when things were good. My boss took all the credit. And when things were bad, he never took any uh, fault. It was always somebody else's problem. Um, someone was picked on. Someone had their turn to be picked on every week. And this person thought it was a motivating factor. And all that this person did ever was really alienate himself. Um, and um, I-, I learned more working for that person in a year than I think uh, of how not to treat your teammates um, that I could ever have learned working for someone who I really respected. Um, So I would say, unfortunately, that person was a huge influence in my life. But in the end, I mean, I I learned how I didn't wanna be, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, well, sometimes we learn from the bad managers, as you mentioned, as much if not more from the good managers yeah and if we only have good managers then yeah we, we can't figure out other ways to improve as well so it's it's, it's a positive it's a positive outcome yeah i think I so
1: I, and you well, yeah you're right you learn you, you you learn if you're not learning from both good and bad stuff that happens to you you're not opening your eyes enough you know you learn more from the bad stuff i think that's a good thing
0: yeah, and then all these learnings, I guess over time, maybe your how you define success might have changed. But how do you
1: define success? And maybe was there a defining moment? If I if I can if I can sleep well and be happy with the day that we had, um, I, I I define that as a successful day. I'm not a big. I'm not a big believer in big highs and big lows, okay? Um, I like to come in every day and make incremental improvements on something, whether it be the manufacturing process, whether it be our sales training, whether it just be relationships at our company. Um, You know, one uh, I say one thing, the, the other thing I learned from that bad boss, right, is that person did the opposite. It was either when we were high, oh man, things were high. Everyone, everyone was everyone's best friend, and we had a great time. When we were low, it was low. And to have that roller coaster up and down, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. So, one thing I learned here that I apply here to to our team is you know, there's no big highs, no big lows. Yeah, we have some. Big successes that, at, at once in a while. Yeah, we have some big defeats every once in a while, but if you keep it on an even kill and you don't get too excited all the time, you don't get too down. Uh, that to me defines success because then everybody is going home, sleeping well, coming back in the next day, n- knowing that it's not a roller coaster. Um, as far as, the, as as a moment in early March of uh, 2019, I woke up. I'm gonna I'm gonna get deep here with you, okay? Here we go. Uh, I woke up one Sunday night in the middle of the night, and i I thought I was having a heart attack, okay? thirty nine years old, thinking I'd have a heart attack, right? And you know, you look at me, I'm not the best in shape guy, but you know, it's not like I'm totally out of shape. So this should not be happening, right? Um, I, 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 I couldn't breathe. Um, I, 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 had the symptoms of, you know, chest pressure, um, sweating, couldn't get warm. Um, and, um, you know, I went down took aspirin, Tylenol, whatever you take and tried to chill out, woke up the next morning, went back to sleep, woke up the next morning, told my wife what had happened. Um, uh, got my blood pressure checked out. Um, didn't want to go to the doctor. Um, but you know uh, my wife and a nurse friend said you have to go right now you know you're you're an idiot if you don't they were right so i went and got an ekg test didn't come back came back normal and then the doctor starts talking to me about my feelings and my how i deal with stress and this and that and halfway through the interview i realized that this doctor is checking me out to see if i and depressed and had a panic attack. So I had to fill out the survey and everything and over the next couple of days they really realized she's I walked out of the office and the person said you the doctor said you had a panic attack. Never had a panic attack before, didn't know what it felt like, didn't know what it was. Panic attacks don't happen to me. Um and so the next few weeks I really started reevaluating you know what was going on at work, what was going on at home, am I happy? And you know I wouldn't say Edco was going through some tough times, but my position for myself, I was going, I had a lot of pressure on me. I was going through a tough time myself. And I realized that subconsciously I was not handling my stuff right. Um, and uh, that, I, I think that slowly got me into, I need to lose some weight. I did that. I needed to reconnect. Um, at home a little bit more. Um, I needed to calm down at work. I started talking to people, both in my personal and professional life. And they said, yeah, you do that. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, I'm like, well, why don't you guys tell me this? And they're like, well, you didn't ever ask. So uh, I'm glad I did. So I think that was a defining moment to where I really started thinking about, okay, what do I need to do every day um, to feel happy? And I guess to your, to your question of defining this success, if I can go home every day and sleep really well, because I wasn't sleeping well, if I can go home and feel good about sleeping every day, that to me is a, is a successful day. And I and you know, unfortunately, I, I think what happened to me happens to a lot of people. They don't realize how stressed out they are until something like that happens, like a defining moment, like a, a panic attack, to to get it. Um, and I and I'm hoping I've made some some. uh Uh, improvements I'm still here so that's good that's great I really appreciate you opening up about that experience because
0: I think a lot of people go through this and they're they're not even aware of it they just think it's just a day-to-day thing or it hits them like a ton of bricks like you sort of experienced yeah so so how did how did you slowly you sort of touched on a little bit but how did you manage that and how did you improve on that because I think people that are listening might be going through something similar and they might want to learn from the steps that you took?
1: Well, um, I, I think it, uh, you, every, every person is going to have their own journey, right? I they say identify. Um, but for me, um, I kind of looked at it as you know, what's that saying, take care of the low hanging fruit, right? You know what's the low hanging fruit in this complicated problem that, that you can take care of right now? And for me, it was getting in better shape. Um, um, and and um, I, I was going to the gym. I was trying to get shape, but I knew I knew I was I was I wasn't taking care of myself physically as as well as I needed to be. And for me to fix that was the low hanging fruit. For me, I and in my personal thing um someone recommended downloading the uh getting started doing peloton the peloton app and for me i downloaded that to my phone and that made a world difference i i started getting on a better work workout schedule felt better about myself i saw some incremental changes um in my health um and i started doing that um as then i i think i started working on um just calming down man i mean uh, it's you think that that's something easy to do and it's not as it's hard as hell. Um, it's, 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 it's hard to, uh, especially in, in your professional life, to when you get in a place where you're stressed out all the time, to slowly unravel that's a really hard thing to do. So I think, I think I, I th- maybe I delegated a little bit more. Um, maybe I, it was just simply calming down And, um, luckily for me in my particular situation, I already had people who I trusted here. Really, really, really good people. People who are smarter than me at, at work and who have been with us for a long time and want to be part of this team for a long time to come to say, okay, I know, you know what you're doing. Let me know when I can help you. Let them take more responsibility. Um, so I would say, you know, You got to look at it from a physical point of view and you got to look at it from, if you can figure out, if if you can figure out physical improvement and allowing people to do more around for you at a professional level, I think that's a good way to start. I'm not going to uh, try to help people in their personal life. I'm no expert. I'm sure my situation is way different than everybody else's. So I don't want to talk about that end, but I think physically working out and delegating is a pretty good start, I think. And it sounds
0: like you have opened up more as well about the way you feel.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. Um, I, I've always, I was told when I was young that I probably shared too much um, and people always said I was they were surprised at how much I would talk um, to anybody about anything that was bothering me. Um, but I, I think that stopped at some point. Um, and now I've tried this last year, I've tried to surround myself with more friends um, that want to talk about things. Um, um, I, I just read this book called uh, I Used to Be a I, It's Entitled. I used to be a miserable F word. That's the title of the book. Uh, um, And it's practical advice for men. Um, And you read through this and it's like, well, why aren't I doing that? Why aren't I talking with other guys about this subject or whatever? But it's really practical advice to to say, you know, this author says I was a boy and now I'm a man because I do all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I think opening up to people definitely helps you out. Um, but again, like, like anything, like anything personal, that's easier said than done. And I think you're right. People don't realize that they're not doing that.
0: Uh, it's amazing. I really appreciate you sort of talking through this. I've had other guests bring up similar topics and, uh, I think it's going to become something more and more in the industry and just in, in, in the world in general, where more men, in particular are going to open up and, and start talking about their feelings more because it's very common for people just bottle things up and and just sort of charge ahead and then run into a brick wall well I, and i
1: hope your listeners listen to, to this other uh uh those other broadcasts because you 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 have interviewed in a in a relatively short amount of time some really good people that have meant a lot to the industry and if they're sharing those feelings and they are um, I, I think you're right. I think that that's, that's, that's a big deal. I think that's going to open up. I think people are going to connect with them a lot, a lot more than before. Hmm.
0: All right, Jason, we'll look we're a little bit over time. I really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast.
1: This is fantastic. I hope, uh, I hope you had a, as much fun as I did. Um, and, uh, I can't wait. Hopefully someday we'll, we'll sit down and talk face to face.
0: Please like, share, follow the Rental Journal podcast and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.